I should have asked him, what do you think about you supporting an organization that's fully funded by the United States? <laughs> then he goes, oh, I got no. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the state of the union. Sir? Is it the state of the union? It is. Actually, the State of the Union oh, is no. tonight nine. at uh, 9 p.m. <laughs> Eastern Time. And um, I don't know if, uh, if you know we'll David Barton. How many of you have actually met David Barton? Two of us? That's it? Have I met him? I don't know. Have I met yes, him? Yes, you met him. I took some ad to heard him. I've seen videos or something. Yeah, he's he's, really he's great. Listen to this guy. Full screen. Oh. Hi, I'm David Barton of Wall Builders, an organization dedicated to presenting America's forgotten That's history right. and heroes with an emphasis on our moral, religious, and constitutional heritage. We have here a library of some 100,000 originals or copies of original documents related to that heritage. The annual State of the Union Address is a part of our constitutional heritage. Presidents George Washington and John Adams both delivered their addresses orally. But starting with President Thomas Jefferson, presidents simply delivered a written report to Congress. But in 1913, President Woodrow Wilson returned to the oral address. The 1923 State of the Union Address of President Calvin Coolidge was the first to be broadcast, and that of Harry Truman in 1947 was the first to be televised. Now, the 1942 State of the Union Address was directly shaped by the attack on Pearl Harbor. America had tried hard to stay out of World War II, but in the course of four days, everything changed. On the morning of December the 7th, 1941, Japan attacked America at Pearl Harbor. And two hours after the attack, they got around to declaring war on the United States. The next day, America responded by declaring war on Japan. Then three days later, on December the 11th, Germany joined Japan and declared war on the United States. And just hours after that, America declared war on Germany. What an amazing four days. Three weeks later, on January the 6th, 1942, President Franklin Roosevelt delivered his State of the Union address telling America, the world is too small to provide adequate living room for both Hitler and God. In proof of that, the Nazis have now announced their plan for enforcing their new German pagan religion all over the world. The plan by which the Holy Bible and the cross of mercy would be displaced by Mein Kampf and the swastika and the naked sword. Reflecting Roosevelt's words in that State of the Union address, the U.S. government produced this poster to help raise money for the war effort. It's a Nazi hand stabbing the Bible with the caption, This is the enemy. Wow, the federal government is reminding Americans that the Bible and what it stands for is under attack and that we must stand up and push back? Amazing. Look at some of the other government-issued posters. Here's one with a picture of President Roosevelt, and it has a family, and they're gathered around a cross. And this one has a quotation from President Roosevelt's vice president, Henry Wallace. It says, Strong in the strength of the Lord, we who fight in the people's cause will never stop until that cause is won. And this one 
as a direct quote from the Lord's Prayer as taught by Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 6.13. It says, Deliver us from evil. There are other posters as well. We have these posters on our website. These posters show us much about our heritage and how far from it we've moved in recent years. If you want to support Walt Builder's efforts to present our forgotten history and heroes and to preserve our moral, religious, and constitutional heritage, go to www.wallbuilders.com. God bless. Mr. Barton was maligned recently, well, actually a couple of years ago, um, by a uh, Texas um, candidate for office, two, two of them actually, and uh, he just won a multi-million dollar lawsuit for libel defamation of character. And he donated all of it. And didn't keep it. Huh. Um, I think it's worthy. Uh, his, his tagline here in the, uh, in the email was, if you want to know what the State of the Union has been like in the past, and how it may differ from what you'll hear tonight, listen to this. So, I think we need to pray for our president. It is a uh, difficult time. And he will be speaking, of course, not only to raise taxes, uh, but he'll be speaking to uh, a complete Republican Congress. We'll see what he says. So that's the first thing tonight. Um, the second thing tonight, of course, is uh, Rosh Kodesh, which started just as you guys arrived. So uh, we'll end tonight by uh, praying uh, Ma'ariv prayers and uh, perform a mitzvah. I'm trying to run to do those of late. Amen. Uh, no reason why I can think of, but uh, that's the deal there. If anyone leaves before their answers... Well, less than ten men. That person will be lambasted. <laughs> and there you have it. Nobody likes to be lambasted. Basted like a lamb. Right. Lambasted. Blessed you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please add and I our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. So we pick up with chapter 19 on the elements of Hasidut, or piety, and we'll uh, try and run through the... Uh, Weighing the implementation as well as the way to acquire Hasidut. It was, um, I thought it was a great chapter. Yeah, nice chapter. It, um, well, it was long, it flowed well and kept me, uh, kept me interested. Um, the sum of everything he said was to practice what is known as Gemalut Hasidim. Who can tell me what Gemalut Hasidim is? What is that all about? What does that mean? What's he talking about? He's referring to the, um, the act of Chesed 
um, between one's fellow and to God, which um, he classifies in a number of in a number of ways, and um, how they transcend simply doing a mitzvah or a mitzvah that you have been told. It's it's lit- it's going above and beyond. You said next step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Sounds a lot like go the extra mile. Yeah. That second mile deal. Yeah. I've heard that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also included this category is the pursuit of peaceful relations between people. So we've got uh, pages of stuff uh, to go through. Uh, you don't want me to start with, uh, nor did I ever call my fellow by his nickname. <laughs> which, I mean, your pious guy just doesn't call you slim, shorty, whatever. So... You think that's my nickname? Really? That had to be sarcastic. Um, <laughs> well, I'm not allowed to use sarcasm anymore as of Chapter 7, so <laughs> Slim was uh, supposed to be an uplifting thing. Yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be a suggestion. Right, right, yeah, yeah. The world stands on three things. Yamalut, Chassidim. What are those three things? Can Taurus, anybody tell me? Torah study, um, uh, divine service, and um, acts of kindness. Bestowing kindness, exactly right. And that last one, of course, is where he's going. So what hits you? Yes, sir. This is not in this book, but... In well, let's kindness. move on to another topic. <laughs> in the Love and Kindness chapter of um, Everyday Holiness, yeah. there was such an excellent example of the difference between being a man and a follower of God and like actually doing an act of loving kindness. So his example was... If you're walking down the street and you see somebody carrying a heavy box, if you help them, not chesed. Nope, not even. That's Everybody should do that. But if the guy carrying the heavy box is on the other side of the street, all the way down there, there's tons of people walking right by him, and then you cross the street, go all the way over there, help him out, now that's chesed. And it was like, it was such a good picture of like the difference yeah, because this is this yeah this is over the top and, and then, this is not course, the, the convenient well I, he's right there right mm-hmm. yeah help Absolutely. the old lady across the street exactly like, i happen to be on the same that. corner with the old lady exactly Absolutely. yeah but just to think of it in that perspective but yeah. then think how often we hear that that's what god has for us mm-hmm. he has chesed for us it's yeah. just like wow it, it hits it he's gone out of his way yeah, yeah. good that's good. Oh, yes, I did have a question here because I don't know. Um, I'm reading through the, this this book. It's been very interesting because every now and again you get to a section where I look at it and I go, "Huh, that actually looks familiar." Like the attitude, right. um, and not to the scripture necessarily, but even to things I've done in my own life. And not to say that I've, I'm not actually doing them. I've thought about that before. And first um, step, first step. Well, maybe. But the irony is, I've thought about it before, and in my own practice, because it was. Uh, not apparently accompanied with enough piety or whatever the case may be, it ended up causing sometimes problems. So then I like I ditched that. I thought, well, that's that's not a good way to live because it causes all these issues. And so when I get to the section again in the in a, in a new book where someone's like, this is the only way to do it, I'm like, wait a minute. I thought I already found out that was not the way to do it. So I'm a little confused, and I would like to get some thoughts on this one section. He talks about the soul. Yeah. And he says that one must strive to give his neighbor as much pleasure as he can, which to me sounds like a noble, motivated people pleaser. Not to say that like 
people pleasing sounds bad. It's just like they're doing the same actions as a people pleaser, but they're doing them because they just love the other person and not because they don't want the other person to like them or whatever the case may be. Is that what he's getting at? Because that seems kind of inconsistent with what I feel like I've been learning the last couple of years, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, uh, I'll, I'll let, uh, let everybody else uh, chime in. But I, I think the thought here is that in, in most cases, we would give our own selves pleasure. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of sitting on the stool. I'm going to move into a chair. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what about, forget you for a second, what about the neighbor, right? You know, you, you see him out there, and, and he's, he's working on the, on the weeds, trying to pull him out with that stupid tool that he bought for nineteen ninety nine on the on that channel. Infomercial. Right. Um, maybe maybe we should go out there, right, and, and help him out <laughs> instead of taking a chair. <laughs> that kind of thing, right? I don't think it's it's meant to. Okay, forsake your wife. Don't give her any pleasure. Don't make her happy. Focus everything on the neighbor. I don't think it's that. Well, no, 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 no. I don't think that. I mean, obviously, I think if you as you read through this, one of his arguments is that. This takes so much wisdom because you have to balance all the no, things. No, which ones to do. No, which exactly. ones to do. So I, I'm not saying yeah. that it's... No, 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 no. It would never become a challenge to, to taking care of a higher priority. My question is, though, it's more on the lines of like the, like the, the traditional people pleaser, like at, the, at its core, the people pleaser has no self. Right. The people pleaser doesn't know what they want. They only do what other people want because that's, that's how they define right and wrong. And here's not what they want. It's what they need. And you have no expectation of what their response will be. I would, I don't know though about that definition of the people pleaser because because the good kind of people pleaser has no self. It's a complete humility. Yeah, but he didn't mean it like that. Well, you meant like no um, no life. Well, no, 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 like, okay, like no, like you say be transparent. A, pe- a true people pleaser can't be transparent because people pleaser has nothing on the inside. Right. That's what I mean. Like you don't you don't know They're who fake. you are. All they want to do is is make well, other people fake. like them. It's not. It's not even. It's it's legitimately what they want, but they don't actually know. Like like if you were to if I were to, if you were to ask someone, yeah. I, in, in the times I've been the deepest in that, someone could ask me, well, "What do you want?" I legitimately don't know. What do you want? I want whatever you want. That sounds better than what I mean. I can't even think of what I want. Right. I hate that crap. I know. <laughs> So that's what I'm asking is like, because I feel, my question about that is that like, what's the difference? And I'm not, I'm not critiquing the book. I'm trying to understand it because I feel like it's different than what I've been learning and I yeah. want to make sure I, I'm yeah. understanding it correctly. Am I interpreting it wrong? I didn't think about all that. Yeah. Okay. Colby. Um, the, the some really commentary on that is Pirkei Avot chapter one, verses one and two. And it goes over, um, essentially goes over like being like finding a midpoint between everything and mm-hmm. the conclusion was you should like be popular um, the conclusion was that everywhere you go you should like be a giver so your sole job like for example your sole job is to make like you show up at a house the sole job is to make the host feel like the most amazing person in the whole world or your sole job like when you get home is to like give to your wife so the commentary related everything in our lives to the giving mentality and um, and then it related the difference between Judah and Joseph, and they said Joseph was brought to power um, 
and God brought him to power, and he was a great leader and all this stuff. But Joseph had a a nah, or an ability to make people jealous of him. And when he rose to power, people may have gotten jealous. But he was like a he was like a very firm leader, kind of like a Moshe or somebody. Um, but then they related Judah, who rose to power, um, of course with God's help. But he was also liked by all his brothers, mm. and he was very popular to say without a negative connotation. And Joseph, uh, or Judah, was also similar to like an Aaron, like a people pleaser. Mm. Um, and it's really the different leadership styles, but it just talked about being a giver the entire time, like everyone you meet, um, with of course not sacrificing chutzpah or morals or things like that. Um, but it was, just, it was a really good commentary. Mm. So I don't know if it'll help, but I, I liked it. Please, I want to hear. So I was just thinking based on what we said, because that kind of reminded me of love your neighbor as yourself, and also that idea of, like, you can't really give, you know, unless it's um, overflow. And if the people pleaser is only looking to, like, I don't have my own opinion, what do you want to do? Then they're not actually, that's more of a taking thing. Then when a giving would just be like, I'll give you what I already know to be good, um, which requires already an identity of knowing what's good mm-hmm. because that's what you would want and so that's what they would want and you and you know that you want what is right because you constantly have a realigning yourself with what's good. Yeah, I would <coughs> I would tend to agree with that. In the times where I I sense that I've I've worked this out with my neighbor, it's it seems to be along those lines. I see him doing something, I know how to do that. I'm gonna go over and just lend a hand. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't expect anything in return. I don't even want to thank you. I just want to help him, you know. And I start walking away, and it's so thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're like, hey, you know, that's, that's what neighbors are for, right? You know, just walk away. I'm not here for anything other than to help. Him. Yeah. Well, to me, it kind of gets back to the <clears throat> to the premise he lays down at the beginning of the chapter, which he basically says, look, Hasidus fundamentally is the dealing with t- two levels the interaction between you and Hashem and you and you know, your fellow man. man, right? And the interaction between you and Hashem, the essence of that is the fulfillment of all the mitzvot with all of their details, right? right. <clears throat> but not just the actual deed. He goes on to talk about the motive and the manner and, and how you perform the mitzvot, not just the action itself. But the second subdivision was, you know, the concern between you and your fellow man, which he says the essence of is immense benevolence, meaning that a person should always find ways to bestow good upon Hashem's creatures and not and not harm them. The idea is the whole point is that your motive, your if you have this right, then this should motivate yeah, promoting to be a quote unquote people pleaser in the sense that. You're looking for opportunities to always bestow benevolence on God's creatures, not because you're trying to get you know brownie points with the person, right. but because that's how you please God. That's how you serve God, because mm-hmm. God wants to be benevolent to all of His creatures, and you're using He's using you as sort of the conduit for that. <clears throat> he writes, "The sum of the matter is." Compassion and benevolence must be permanently ingrained in the heart of the Hasid. What page are you? 
that would be on page I've got to find one. Pardon me? Yes, I need to be skinnier. Uh, 356. So, um, one last comment, and then I'll let this go, because I know we need to move on. We have a lot to talk about. But um, along within that, then, is there any room for having your own preferences? Because it kind of sounds to me like at any time that my preference runs counter to someone else's preference, that I should always let them win. But it still sounds like you're taking lunch orders, and that's not what it is. Well, no, but I mean, like, for example, let's say, like, my wife and I are talking, and we say, hey, want to see a movie? Sure. If she throws out a name of something that she's interested in, then it would seem to imply then that that's the end of the conversation. Like, for me to say, oh, I've already seen that, I'd rather see something else, would seem to kind of run counter to I get the where idea. I get where you come from now. I think it's a different topic, but okay. it's close. Okay. So I would say this. If I asked you what you want to have for lunch, and you say, I don't know, I don't, I don't really care, what do you want to have for lunch? Because you just want to please me? I'll smack you because I want to know what you have because if we're going to outdo one another in brotherly love, it doesn't have to, it doesn't mean that one of us has to give up our opportunity, right. but we can't make a good decision without knowing the other side. I got you, then I got you. Does that make sense? Right. So if you're white, you know, let's watch a movie. Okay. What do you want to see? Right. Well, what do you have to be the first person to ask because you're not going to say No. She says, well, I'd love to see that new Superman movie. And you go, I love that Superman movie. I'd like to see that new Batman movie. Now, there's a choice. But see, that's my question. You give her no opportunity to outdo you in brotherly love if you never share. But if she asks, you would. But if she doesn't, maybe you shouldn't. I'm just wondering. Because that's what came to mind today as I'm reading through this. I'm thinking... Huh. What's the practical? You know, we can talk about like the, the theoretical, but what's the practical? And in my life, that's something that comes up. I like it. Great question. Stand by. And I'm Got done now. Two wise guys. Well, I feel like the practical here is like, I feel like he's almost suggesting like you should know what her answer would be, and then your love would be acting upon it. Like, hey, this is the movie we're going to go see because you knew that's what she wanted, right. and so that way you don't put her in a position. To feel like she's taking yeah. over, and or like she's got to make a choice, has to make the choice. I, I've just personally found that to work the best is in anything like that. Just knowing what a preference is already means that you've been paying attention, means you love the person, and then it gives you an opportunity to demonstrate love by making it your own preference, it's even if you have Especially if it's a surprise. Exactly. Right. See, yeah. I'm I'm leaning more in this to the guy next door that I'm not living with. Right. Right? I see a need. I'm going to fill that need. Right. I, I see not even a need, but maybe I perceive from afar a want. Right. Here's an example. Last Christmas, I gave him my a heart. great... <laughs> I left my heart in San Francisco. Uh, I gave him, I gave him a great bottle of wine. He, he has a bar. I just thought, you know what? He's a great neighbor. I, I just want to do something nice for him. He never asked me for a bottle of wine. He probably only drinks beer. But I had a great bottle of wine, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to give this to him. 
effusive. He walked over. He actually walked on my property. 11 years. First time. He actually came to my door to say thank you. Because I gave it to his wife. I wasn't doing it for that. I just did it to make him happy. Right. I didn't have to ask him, so do you like wine or do you like beer? Oh, I like wine, but you like... I didn't even go through that. I just perceived that he would enjoy it. That's it. Right. No, that's the ideal, I think, a lot of times. But sometimes, I guess I'm just thinking, like, in the practical day-to-day things, you don't always that know... That was a day-to-day thing. ...what the preference is. Of course. I didn't know either. Stand by. Um, actually, that's right. my comments. <laughs> yeah, you can go, Johnny. No, that was all. By the way, I like your beard, Taylor. Oh, I Taylor, like I wanted to hear what you had to say. Oh. It's not important. Yeah, it's not important anymore. It wasn't that. I hope it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, because that all was important. Ouch. <laughs> I miss all your comments. I'll talk soon. <laughs> Included in it. Are we good? Mm-hmm. We're going to work through this. We're going to, you know, we got to get a good answer here. So that you leave feeling good about that. I want that. Okay. Included in scripture, it says Yeshua grew in favor with God and men. Yes. The world tries to um, do the horizontal thing first and then work on their vertical relationship. Hashem calls us vertical first and the outpouring is horizontal. I like it. uh, Proverbs says humility comes before honor. So you want to make sure you're humble with God before you can make a big impact. I like that too. These are all good things, but you want it practical. I get it. Included in the concept of love and love of Hashem are one, joy in serving Him, two, devikut, which obviously you didn't do today. You didn't shave. Um, no, I'm like you. Devikut is cleaving, not shaving. I was just making a joke. Um, at, at, at the bearded man's expense, I beg your pardon. And uh, three, zealousness in defending His honor. Like so, joy, mm-hmm. cleaving yeah. to Hashem, and zealousness in defending his honor, which, quite frankly, I think the married man should do with his wife. I've got a question about the uh, Hashem's name or honor. I'm still trying to get it. Is this past the Shabbos, honor Shabbos part? This is right before we get to fear of Hashem. This is on page 350, bottom of 357, beginning of 358. We're on chapter 19. Taylor, are you talking about being honored with Shabbat? Oh, we're in Messiah. I'm in the Catholic Catechism. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Let me put my rosary away now. That's right. (laughs) I'm going to start speaking in iambic pentameter. So, I had a question about just defending Hashem's honor. Um, Because... Like on the on the plane on the way back from Minneapolis, there was this one guy, and he was talking about how he didn't like his GD seat. Um, and I was like, Did he say GD or did he? Use he the didn't words? say the letters. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was like, you know, what do you do? Do you like, hey, can you shut up or can you shut your mouth or can you not say that or please? No, I'll say it for you. Or, excuse me, I don't think that's okay to say. (laughs) As I'm sitting in the very back row next to the lavatory. (laughs) So, but is that really God's name? God. No. No. So, I mean, that's my question. If somebody says that or somebody says, you know, something like that, 
Because nobody's going to use the name of Hashem if they're in America. I mean, I, I seriously doubt you're going to hear anybody abusing that name. So this has to have some other kind of context. That's not, that's a non sequitur, of course, but I do think that his honor and the honor of his name is one thing. Right. People using profanity and being idiots or lacking in vocabulary, as the case may be, um, is, is quite another. And while I prefer, what and, if, and I would actually pull... J.C. <laughs> I, okay, well, not that C is his name, but J is. Yeah, right? well, is J Y is, but well, yeah, J Y. Well, yeah. I mean, is, yeah. I mean, J is not his given name, name but it is a name, <laughs> it's a name by which he is known. Well, then, then you would have to extend that to, well, God. Well, that's, I, a, that's a title. That's a title. That's not a well, name. Well, Jesus is a title. Actually, no. He said that's actually a name. But it's, it's, a, it's a transliteration of yeah. But Christ would be titled. It's a bad translation, but it is. Well, I mean, like, Jesus the, uh, Christ is like pretty much what. Jesus is his first name. Christ is not his last name. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Joseph and Mary Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they had Christmas. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I, I definitely. Any kind of profanity around my wife will cause me. To, to step up, yeah. What? How, how do you do that? You carry oh, a big knife. What's wrong with you? You're on an airplane. airplane. <laughs> it's like, you don't, you don't carry a knife on an airplane? airplane. <laughs> and I love you guys. Hey, what's going on with these people? Hey, brother, how y'all doing? Hey, man, what's so glad you made it. So glad hey, you made it. Yeah, man, me too. Shalom, shalom. All right, what are you doing? What's happening with it? I just feel like a so, super we're, charge of feel good when this guy walks in. Since we're at a, a breaking point here for a moment, before we get into whether you take out the guy with the profanity with your right hand or it's an uppercut. Well, I'd like um, to get, since Nehemiah just walked in, I'd like to hear how he carries a knife on a plane. <laughs> Is it the one with the chain? <laughs> All right, listen. So I'm going to read you, uh, read you a note that we got this week. Dear Tzadikim, I listened to your classes. I feel a bit guilty as if I'm eavesdropping. And I'm so thankful for the things I've, I'm gleaning. As you well know, raising kids in the age we live in is a difficult task. Raising a young man in this culture is getting more difficult each day with the advent of social media, not to mention internet or the mall or billboards or magazines at the checkout. The list goes on. I am trusting Hashem to guide Todd and I in this task and feel as if the practical ideas for training your mind that each of you shared last week will be beneficial not only to my son, but to our whole household. How blessed would a young man be to learn to train his mind at puberty rather than to have to learn to do it as an adult with years of baggage to overcome. I hope that that doesn't sound idealistic, but if it does, then idealistic I will be. Thank you again for contributing to our homeschool journey, the journey of life. I'm now going to practice crushing my toes in the floor, digging my nails into my palms, and whacking myself in the head so that I can teach him correctly. It's true, my friends, you really never know who is watching. With respect, 
Cindy Gardner. Everybody say, thank you, Cindy. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you, Cindy. All right. Praise God. So I, think, I think Pete was going to talk about how he usually stabs people he's prepared. <laughs> That's it. There it is. <laughs> no, I, just, I just read something by uh, Rabbi Nachman uh, about that. And he said something the, like... The, that is using... When somebody else uses profanity, name kind of okay, yeah. yeah. Well, he he's said using the Lord's people, name in vain and stuff like people that. People all over the world are saying, "Oh my God!" But he's like, nobody knows who they're talking to. <laughs> so it's like it's like no big deal. He just kind of like brushes under the table, like um, that's true. They keep saying this this God person, but they don't. They're completely godless lives. So that's not taking his name in vain, because it's not him. Okay, I got so, you. so that's the same thing in this case, then. Right, and I, I think it also applies to the JC issue, because uh, he had another thing, which I sent you in an email one time, because he was saying how everyone kept um, like really dinging him, mm-hmm. and he, he um, let them all off the hook, because he said they, they keep um, dishonoring this guy, Rabbi Nachman, but they, they don't, don't know, know him who Rabbi Nachman is, so they're dishonoring some guy they made up in their mind, who they think I am. It's not me, so it doesn't matter at all. It's not me. Sure. And so, That's you clever. can't wow. dishonor. And interestingly that. enough, along those lines, Yeshua actually said almost the exact same thing. In commenting when the Pharisees were mocking him for, or saying, claiming that he was using the power of demons to cast out demons, he responded by saying that if you say anything against the Son of Man, they'll be forgiven him. Forgiven. No big. If you speak against the spirit, and then that ties back into there is there then there is no forgiveness. The whole unforgivable sin thing, which got charismatics, everybody else did a whole lot of a tizzy. What does it mean? It goes back to Exodus, which goes back mm-hmm. to taking the name of the Lord in vain, because God says whoever takes the name of the Lord in vain, his sin will be required of him. In other words, it's like there is going to be a punishment for that at some level. So, <clears throat> to your point, um, I think just from reading this section, one of the things that it mentioned that I thought was really helpful when we get to the whole idea of looking at the wisdom of everything is like in your scenario, you want to weigh if you speak and what you speak against the impact that it will achieve. A guy who's throwing up profanity, if you're alone in an airplane, I mean, if you have your kids with you, if your wife with you, I think you have something of a defense because you say, hey, I got some ears here, don't need to hear that, you know, whatever. But I think other times, if it's just you, then you run the risk of just basically ticking off a scoffer, which is the Proverbs talk a lot about the fact that you should not instruct a mocker because he'll just throw it right back in your face. Don't throw your pearls before swine. Don't throw your pearls before swine. And in the end, Yeshua points out that says that they'll they'll trample it under their feet. So um, I think that in this particular section, in the Messiah Sharm, he talks a lot about the idea that you could end up actually causing the wicked to do more wicked by trying to correct them. And so I think that, like, in that scenario, when you're just by yourself, I, in my mind, I would just kind of keep silent. When I was at work around that kind of language, I almost never said anything to people about my language. But because I never smiled, I never repeated it, and they knew that I was religious, they almost all of them always they just knew. They cleaned Oh, up. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that in front of you, Josh. Like, you know, I... Does that does it bother you if I say this? You know, it's like... Because they just knew that I had an issue with well, it. I didn't even did, say anything. Did you say yes? I'm not as good at all the time as I should be, but I'm pointing. Joshua Partick, he's like, no. No, boy. Bring it. The point that I'm trying to get at, though, is that you can't speak without speaking. Sometimes it's better not to speak. 
All right, we're on page 358. You can watch your bleeping mouth. <laughs> Bringing up uh, fear of Hashem. The fear of Hashem does not come naturally and must be cultivated. Yeah, if you turn on the page numbers, if you turn on the page numbers, you can see 358 is right here. Ah, so I need to turn it on. You need to turn it on. Hit your settings over here. Oops. Go back. Yeah, hit settings. Page numbers. Page numbers. Page numbers. Continue. You have to be in Hebrew English classic. There's your layout. And then show print numbers is the fourth one down. Fifth one down. <laughs> yeah. Used to wear that helmet. You gotta change it from classic Vilna. No, no, no. You're, no, you're further up. Further. Up. Cancel that. Back to settings, and then all the way up to top. English only. That's why. Change it to Hebrew English classic. And then your page numbers need to be shown. Something I really struggle with, actually. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> we have a question or a comment. Yes. Question or comment. Yes, sir. That's exactly what we're going to talk about. Because uh, have you guys been keeping up with the uh, Tanya reading these past couple of days? I've been behind on my Tanya reading. He's been talking exclusively about cultivating a fear and love of Hashem. See, now, what if I were on track, I'd already have this down. It's super cool because he's saying you can never actually completely fulfill any mitzvot unless they a mitzvah any mitzvot oh any mitzvot any mitzvot because they won't ascend unless they have wings and the wings are fear and love yeah. and so positive commandments are are held aloft by love negative by fear and it's like literal emotional fear and love. And he's like, nobody, nobody has that just by default. You don't wake up with that. You gotta cultivate it. Mm-hmm. And you cultivate, as this guy says, with uh, meditation. Right. And you have to meditate on Hashem's, he says, exaltedness here or his greatness, mm-hmm. and his love for you. Both of these things, if you meditate on them, then they will turn into emotions, um, because your mind. It's all, it's all like the Sephirot, but you have Chokmah Bina in your mind, and that gives birth to, that's father and mother, it gives birth to the emotions which are children of the mind. Hmm. So you, do you, you do realize that a lot of people, when you talk, have no idea what the heck you are saying. You guys are keeping up. Here's the thing, this is so Chokmah is wisdom, Bina's understanding. Right, wisdom and understanding. Right. right. So you, and you have wisdom and understanding in the mind, so you right. comprehend... Right. The completion of something, and right. they have babies. Then, yeah, they have babies. <laughs> then that leads to the emotion. It's not a have. metaphor. It sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> yeah, male and female, and bina. It extends to everything in creation. Anyway, the point is, sometimes it doesn't turn into emotions. You meditate and you get discouraged because you still don't feel a love and fear of Hashem that's palpable. Mm-hmm. It's all just intellectual, and he's like, that's totally fine. And he went through a couple chapters just proving it. That that will still, that still wings upon which your mitzvot can rise. So, like, um, do that. 
So do that. Yeah. There it is. Do that. Yeah. So he says here, just contemplate a little bit on it, and it'll yeah. start to cook. And it's boom. And see, I, don't, I have never done it, and I feel like this is ridiculous. Why haven't I done that? Done what? Meditate upon that? Like you just Meditate sit, upon like, sit that. down, I got take some time. He said, like, just 15 minutes a day, and you're done. Yeah. That could be part of your hippo to do time. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that earlier in the book, he was talking about the, the intention and... and um, uh, the motivation for performing mitzvot. Well, for children, like small kids, they don't quite have that understanding yet. But he, uh, Ramchal encourages us to say, go ahead and keep doing it. Just have them do it. Right. It's better and, that they and do it, will, it and, and it will come. And it will come. Yeah, so I that, remember that. Yeah, that's, I thought that's a nice supplement yeah, for that. that's a good idea. Everything that you were just saying, because I was just reading through like half of Psalm 119, that is like filled to the brim with that. Like there's the, I was just looking, I mean, one of the verses, verse 27 is like, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Mm. And then he talks about, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Mm. Uh, I mean, like so many times does he mention meditation, thinking about or, or asking for further understanding and wisdom regarding Hashem's ways and the ways of his Torah and his law. But then like paired throughout that is just like, but I do it anyway and I run to do it and I always do it. Like, so it's just, it's Mm -hmm. that perfect balance that we're talking about here. Yeah. That's good. Good. Well done. Anyway, if you're not reading the chapter, the daily Tanya, that's a good thing to hop on. It's a free iPhone app. I don't know if it's on Android. Probably because Ch- the Chabad study. Kedusha. Yeah, <laughs> that's on Android. Oh, it is. <laughs> there is a machine. What did you say about? <laughs> Android doesn't have Kedusha. All right. So he mentions at the bottom of page three sixty uh, about uh, just as. Uh, uh, Gregory just said about uh, before we get to King David. Question on three fifty nine. Three fifty nine, Roger. Uh, um, he said, additionally, one must meditate upon the lowliness of man and his inferiority on account of his innate physical physicality and coarseness, and certainly on account of all the sins that he has committed since he came into existence. Depravity of man. That's yeah. feeling that Calvin thing coming back, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no theology, buddy. <laughs> so is that on three fifty nine? Yeah, it's yeah, on my version of three fifty nine. Did I get yeah, that Calvinist version? Second version. Near note fifty three. This number. This number. Yeah, footnote fifty three. Yeah, I got it. I got it. The one call came back as Calvin later. So, uh, was there a question or is it just, just the stated? question is somewhat, and this may be somewhat scattered because this just popped into my head. So we're not really supposed to dwell on our past, especially because, you know, as whether you consider yourself a Garibald, Teshuva, whatever, you could probably, most of us could be fitting into one of those categories. You're not supposed to remind about Teshuva of where he or she came from. So... That on top of the fact that it's like, well, how does that with you know your soul is pure, you're 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 technically good. That yeah, you committed sins, but that's not who you are. Like, 
It should this be a consistent thing, or just every once in a while? Just don't forget your, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's that at all. I don't think it's a personal thing. I think it's a general thing that man himself is the creature. Man has these issues, this these problems where the the cherubim, the seraphim, the ophanim might not. Right. We do, you know, and we're here, and I, I I see it more as a very very general scenario. I didn't look at the footnote 53 on that, but that's that's well, what I think we're looking at there. I think it, I mean, yeah, far from being kind of what a lot of, you know, Christianity says that, you know, you're a sinner, you can't do anything good. It seems that this is more so of account of innate physicality and coarseness, as opposed to individual transgressions of Hashem's Torah. Right, you're stuck in the shell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he does mention specifically, though, the sins that he's committed since he came into existence. And it, I don't think it's a um, specifics thing. It's kind of like what you were saying, where there's a delta between us and God. The more the more that you realize how much you've sinned, the more the whole the whole point of this paragraph is just to realize how much Hashem loves you and how you ought to fear Him more, because of how far away you actually are. So if you ever thinking that you're getting super super close to Hashem. Like you need to be reminded that your yeah. father which, yeah. which, which, which two paragraphs black, later he's black, gonna, but beautiful type of thing. two yeah. two paragraphs black. later he's going to go through the uh, through the angels yeah you know these guys you know they're the great council of the holy angels awesomeness and all of that so but I think it's also um, speaking of like um, like um, you know mankind has a tendency to be haughty you know, sure. to feel self-important, arrogant, mm. you know, and then to contemplate on like, you know, your dependence on Hashem and your dependence on Him um, and see that, you know, whether you're wealthy, whether you're poor, whether you're, you know, whatever, whatever you have, it's all because of Hashem. Amen. You know, it's, uh, you know, and, and I think, I think that's where it is too right here is like, um, you know, because mankind, I mean, all the different uh, throughout history, how mankind deified themselves, how men tried to make themselves out to be gods, yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, I, I think it speaks to that a little bit, too. Cool, good. All right, we move on. He introduces the third aspect of Yerat Haromemut. I thought about the song we sing. That's it. We have discussed uh, page 362. Up to now, the subjects of submissiveness to Hashem and feeling bashfulness and shame in His presence. And now we discuss the subject of showing honor and beautifying His mitzvot. I am very excited to hear what you guys have to say about this here. Beautiful tzitzit. Yeah, beautiful tzitzit, beautiful tefillin, beautiful lulav. Well, Greg has been discussing this recently about spending as much money on a mitzvah as possible. Mm. That was? Yeah, remember you had like a lot of contradiction there? Like, should we buy a big house or something? Mm. Oh, that one time we were talking about... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we... Because that's... Nachman was always saying like, spend as much money as you can... On a mitzvah. Yeah. mitzvah. I think when we were talking about the house thing, that was in regard to whether or not we should negotiate. Right, but it was also paired with this. Because should you buy the biggest house you can? Because you were saying like it's a hospitality mitzvah. It was right on the edge. Sounds like a guy looking for a bigger house. That's what it is. <laughs> <That's> what <laughs> but I in the it is interesting how Judaism does 
I realize stories of people spending exorbitant amounts of money on lulas. Yeah. yeah, well, look at the Etrog in Ushpizine. Yeah, yeah Lulavine. I was actually going to bring up Ushpizine, where, like, the beginning of the film. And it's actually interesting, because that guy is a, um, he's a, affiliated with Breslov. The whole, everyone that that film is. <laughs> and there's a pretty amazing story, several stories about, um, one in particular I have in mind about um, the Baal Shem Tov. And there was once where he was uh, chazening for this one little um, city, this one shul in the city, and they were like, you know, whatever you want, you know, this is before Sukkot, and they're like, whatever you want for us to pay you, we'll pay you. And he's like, I only want a, uh, a perfect estrog and a perfect lulav. And they're like, done, we got it. Uh, but that year, there was none to be found anywhere. So, so they, they sent people far and wide to all the surrounding cities. They were like, no. you find the perfect one, we'll pay you whatever. We got to give this guy... Um, we got to give this guy uh, the best Estrog and Lulav, but they couldn't even find a, a pitiful one, any of them, let alone a perfect one. So an unbelievably rare hap- thing happened with the Baal Shem Tov. He fell into a depression right before the um, era of Sukkot because he didn't have an Estrog or a Lulav. <sighs> and all of a sudden, this goy comes riding into town on this horse with a perfect etrog and a perfect lulav, and goes to the shul, and he's like, is Israel here? And they're like, yeah, we're, I mean, we're all waiting for him we're, to start. It's, it's pretty close to sunset here. He's at his house still, and we don't know, you know, they knew why, but they were too embarrassed to go get him because they failed to fulfill their end of the bargain. So at a gallop, the horse goes, stops at the door, throws the etrog and lulav to... Um, to the Baal Shem Tov, and it revives his spirit like that, because it was perfect. And that uh, the Goy, actually it wasn't a Goy at all, it was Elijah, yeah. who had showed up and given him the perfect Etrog and Lulav, and he was actually able to, the whole town then used it to fulfill the mitzvah, but it was like the perfect one. So Same. that concept of Ushpizim, where he starts off the whole movie, dirt poor, but he's like, this is the diamond, so to speak, and he's like, right. I want to buy it, That's and he ends it. up buying it. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Then he ends up Eating or drinking it or something. Well, one of his guests do. Yeah. <laughs> I have a question on this one. Because um, one of the things that this thought... I mean, I, I definitely got excited reading this particular section. It seemed like kind of like... Out of all of the things you read through here, um, it's nice when there's a physical action. I feel like that's so much easier to do. Um, and so this one, it's like, oh, great. Okay, so we can like, oh, you know, not skimp on this or, you know, whatever. Buy red meat for Shabbat, you know, whatever right. it would be. But then, like, but then I had a, a thought about that, and it's like, is there a point, like, I think with some things, like maybe what you buy for dinner for Shabbat or whatever else, it's like, okay, fine, no, there's no real issue there. But with things that have to do with that are very public, like the lulav you buy or the sukkah you buy or whatever the case may be, it's like, if you're not, like, up there in your saintliness on anything except honoring the mitzvot, does that just look arrogant? Like... Is that an issue if, like, you're looking at your life and you're going, I'm not righteous enough to be, you know, looking like I'm super righteous? I, I think, you know, if you're, if you're not there yet, you start. you got to start somewhere. Well, I have a question about that question. Um, I have a question for that question about that question. <laughs> <laughs> when you say, like, you know, you're not there yet on certain things, but you buy a super nice lulav, you're asking if that's arrogant? Well, because it sort of reminds me of the guy who said, the, the guy that we read about who's like, my father was wine, I'm vinegar, yeah. because he would separate between meat and dairy by a whole day, and I only separate by one meal. 
And then the same guy, I think it's the same guy, would later also said that like the reason he did that is that his general righteousness was not at the level of his father, so it would be inappropriate of him to make it look like he's more righteous by making that you know non-essential element of the mitzvot above and beyond when everything else is not where it should be. So my question is, like, this particular element of Mesla Isharim is towards the end of the book. Like, we should have already been, like, super, you know, up there, awesome, righteous, pious, whatever, up to this point. And now it's like, so if I were to just, like, skip seven chapters and drop this one in there, would that just be, like, inappropriate? Yeah, I mean, well, if you're sleeping with a neighbor's wife, but the size of the love or the perfection of the etrog, it's probably not where you need to be spending your time or your money. <laughs> right? um, not that those are bad things, but yeah, it's, nice. there's, it's kind of the way you're mad. Yeah, there was just a uh, something I was reminded of from the Pirkei Avot that uh, I think it's from Pirkei Avot, either that or the Letter from the Ages, where he's the author is telling that you should, in this case, dress according to your station. A rich man should not be dressing like a pauper. Mm-hmm. And a pauper should not be faking to wear clothes that are obviously well beyond his means. Um, as such, uh, I think that he's speaking to, um, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of your physical riches. It can also be in terms of your your righteousness, your level of righteousness as well. So um, wherever you beam yourself to be, I suppose... But accordingly and appropriately. No, okay. you, were, you had your hand up first. Okay, I was just gonna, I was gonna comment on that particular issue about not beautifying the mitzvah necessarily because it might look arrogant. But um, you want to do it just a little bit louder so we can all hear you. Right. Uh, I just, I don't know. I just think that if you already are at such a place where you worried about appearing arrogant, then it doesn't matter what level you're on with the other mitzvah because this is a, such an easy way to take a step closer to Hashem. Um, you start some the whole goal of everything. So uh, I don't think it's skipping a bunch of rungs on the ladder because it's not just Ram Kal talks about beautifying the mitzvah. It's a, it's a cross literature. So it's a e- it's so easy, and uh, it's so powerful spiritually to break. Uh, even we were talking about buying like a better lulav and stuff to break your lust for money by spending it on something Hashem wants you to spend it on. Mm, that's true. Is is so powerful that to think to get stopped up by like the whole level and the rungs and the ladder thing is a, a complete distraction. Hmm. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, that's a great thought, which I agree with. Although. Um, there is I think there is a, and, and obviously he's assuming that you're already a Zadik you're already keeping the commandments That's true. there's already you know but your life's consistent if you're if you're not a, a, if you're not a Zadik if you're still you know in chapters yeah, one, four, five, and six you know like yeah. I or whatever you know like I am then there is I think there is a point there and, it kind of, and, and I'm reminded of when Yeshua Talked about the you know the Pharisees who lengthen their zit seed who who you know who have the the large to fill in right which presumably costs more money right so they're they may be 
in some sense, beautifying commandment in terms of the amount of money they're spending on these outward, um, you know, these outward trappings of the mitzvot, but yet they were unrighteous yeah. in you know all these other areas is the is the implication. Right? Yeah. So so if if I buy the best etrog, but I'm a liar, a thief, and a cheat. Hypocrite. I have not beautified the commandment. That's right. That's I have right. made the commandment. I have I have denigrated the name of Hashem. Agreed. That's how I view it. Yeah. I think Pete's point is, if, if we're living this life, if we're if we're working on it here, right. you know, and, and actively pursuing it, yeah, jump in and, and, and make it happen. But uh, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you raise a good point, right? And I like Gregory. the balance there because I think because I, I see your point, and I also see your point. Um, and, right. I, I think, you know, he's right. He is right. Too, again, yeah, yeah, I can see like right. how like <laughs> you know, you're right. If you're on, you're right. It's, it's the one thing to make a mockery almost of it by. By obviously being a hypocrite, right. it's another thing to simply say, well, "I'm only on chapter four. I can't skip to chapter 19. Right. Yeah, the guy yeah. who shows up, you know, at at, at a Bellatora meeting once every two years, and wants to show us his great new brand spanking Talit or something like that, is is probably not <laughs> going to get the same response as the guy who's here constantly and praying and trying to learn and practicing and. Yeah, that kind of deal. So I, I think we there, there is a balance. I guess you know. Yeah, and I think one of an easy solution to the balance to start off with is spending and beautifying the commandment for like the things that people don't really see first mm-hmm. before you do the outward ones because that's such a good example. Zitzit are so obvious, and like to make those you know huge and they're like made of some kind of crazy cool expensive material like so, that's just ridiculous but then when it comes to just wow, even even i mean even with like a lulav and etrog like presumably everyone's going to have one so no one's going to really see it so no one's going to really know how much how big it is or how much money you spent on it but then like something like a suka <laughs> just waving the etrog bro <laughs> I think it was also in like another chapter of this book how it talked about not not you, you never want to like make your your neighbor or brother envious right. either. Right. So you know if so that's just I, I think there is definitely a balance there with like who gets to see you beautifying the mitzvah? Is it all for Hashem or is there a, an ulterior motive, are you exactly. deliberately, you know, making this humongous, ostentatious sukkah in order to have a huge sukkot party so everyone gets to see it? Mm. You know, or are you doing it just for your family? And you know, it's just. Stuff but like what that. would be wrong with wanting other people to see? Like, yeah. like, okay, yeah. On one level, doing it just so other people can see it, like just so other people can see it, may not be bad. Or excuse me, is bad. Sorry. But doing it so that it's for Hashem, but also other people get to partake in the mitzvah and we get to be in awe of how beautiful your there's, sukkah is, definitely good. There's no answer here, because it is a balance. Yeah. So we can describe every, yeah. every little piece of it, but there's always going to be balance. And it's not just a two-sided balance. Yeah. There's the public side, there's the private side, there's the God side, there's the, right. the family side, there's the inside, there's yeah. the... Well, 
I mean, but to, to that example, I mean, if somebody, if somebody puts up a kosher sukkah, and, and even if their motivation is they're going to put up this big kosher sukkah and invite everybody so that they can, you know, everybody can say, oh, you know, whatever, right? So make themselves feel good. They still perform the mitzvah. You can't say they didn't. That's right. Right? But they are not a Hasid because their manner and the motive is not. Exactly. Sure. It's not up to you. It's like the guy donates a million bucks only to get his name on the side of the building. Sure. You donate a million bucks. That's a good deed. You can't call it anything other than that, even though his motivation was selfish. Sure. I was just going to say that um, for further really deep mind blowing uh, for you know spending you know ideas on spending money on the mitzvot um, killing the lust for money all of these things um, the Likute Tefilot uh, Rav Nosen's prayers based on the uh, Likute Mohan lessons of Rabbi Nachman uh, less, uh, prayer number 23 um I'm praying it almost daily because of its applicability to my own life. Um, but it is just knock you out powerful. And so is the lesson itself. So dig in. Cool. Okay. Well, we worked then. I was going to have my dinner. First two. Uh, what, uh, yeah. <laughs> What's, uh, What's Cain's brother's name? Havel. Havel. Yeah, but what is it in English? Abel. 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 <laughs> yeah, I kept killing myself trying to figure it out without looking it up. I'm like, Havel. Havel. Doesn't it mean... Wasn't that the girl in the... In the Fiddler on the Roof? Well, that was Havel. Okay. Well, there's, there's also Huddle. Huddle, right? Huddle is also. <laughs> yeah. And there's Mottle. Mottle. Yeah. That's the guy, though. Yeah. But that is a good point. Cain right. and Abel. Because Cain, according to tradition, offers a lame sacrifice. And Abel offers a good one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. lame, lame. Only, only folks that have read... Genesis recently actually know what you're saying. No, but that's Cain's the comment. Yeah, that's I, know, I know, I know, I know. Kings didn't have wings. Right, yeah. wingless. No wings. wings. 366. No yeah, no fear, no monster. No. All right, let's see. 666. Six, six. <laughs> <laughs> so it spells man. 666. I saw that too. The, the, the monster energy drink is 666? Yeah. Okay, how about uh, honoring Shabbos and Yom Tov? Anything on that, guys, that came to mind? Read the Shulchan Aruch. I like that. I well, this one stood out to me because it seemed to me like the like if you're wrestling with this issue in general, it's like well, this is one that's actually like straight out of the scriptures. Like, I mean, you're literally commanded to make Shabbat a delight, and you're literally commanded to honor it. Like, there's there's no way around that. Um, so it's like like going back to our previous discussion. It's like if you're wrestling with, well, should I buy a bigger sukkah because I'm not that righteous of a dude? It's like, well, spend the money on a better meal for you and your family on Shabbat, and really thank God for you know blessing you. Like that's that's a great way to to honor and beautify a mitzvah that really is not something that everyone's going to be clapping their hands and saying, "What a great guy!" 
No one's going to know. That's true. Um, it was interesting. I read on an article somewhere, I think this is maybe United with Israel or something like that, but one of the guys who died in the Paris attacks in the kosher supermarket was the young man, maybe our own age. And oh, my age. <clears throat> my age. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm feeling younger already. Uh, there was, uh, it was like the, the catch of the ticket you to click on the link was like, you know, this guy's last text to his father or something like that. And you're like, oh, this is going to be deep. Um, and it was in French, so I was like, well, that's not yeah. that powerful. <laughs> 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 but, then it but it was interesting because I had a picture of him with the, um, with the Talus and filling on, and apparently this guy um, was always like so eager to make Shabbat so special. Like he would lead the prayers in his shul in Paris, and you'd always see him at that hyper kosher um, the supermarket, and he'd be buying you know ex- really expensive things for Shabbat. He'd get all like dressed up and take put on cologne to welcome the the one. The Kabbalah Shabbat, right. which is you know the come let us welcome the Sabbath Queen, mm-hmm. um, that was like huge for him. Hmm. So the day that he died, he actually he was texting his father like, "Hey, you know I know you're not really religious, but just do something for the Sabbath." And his father was like, "Okay, we'll go out and buy something." And then uh, the day that he died is actually in the supermarket buying a bunch of stuff for people to beautify the Sabbath. His father was? He was, the guy. Oh. He was oh, He was one of the guys who reached out, tried to take the gun from the guy, but he was shot and killed on the spot because he was in the, the supermarket uh, getting stuff to beautify the Sabbath. So mm. it's just really um, amazing that this guy took it so seriously. And he's our age. Mm. So it, it always can, there's always room for... This should teach you to move your hands faster when taking a handgun. <laughs> So what is the deal I read? Thank you for sharing that. What is this deal I read about uh, <clears throat> driving the staves of the Torah barehanded? It didn't sound like I was doing good here. What? You just taught us to do that, and I'm I'm bringing it up. No, he says if you have a Torah that's not covered. I was going to lie. Where are we? One of the law which is uncovered. Page 374. Shabbat 14a. Isn't that what you, you're commenting on? I don't know. Where is it? I'm looking for it. What page? My, mine's not the same as yours. I don't oh. know. What Wondering page the you? Torah is on 374. It's right after the Cain and Abel discussion. That's before. He says, Our sages of blessed memory warned us very often against the cheapening of mitzvot. Right. They said in Shabbat 14a. One who holds a law, scroll of the law which is uncovered will be buried naked. That's the one I'm talking about, but that's not what it said here. Does anybody know where that says that? At fat. Try for turn. You would his hair, we twist the wicks. <laughs> yeah, unless you have a lot of flowers. Carry a bundle, carry a bundle, carry a bundle, a bundle, I know I read it. I just read this. Gee, what's it driving me nuts now? Uh, I didn't 
Mm-hmm. It's right above the honoring the Shab- Shabbat <laughs> section, if that helps any. All the reps. But anyway, I don't think it has to do with holding the staves barehanded. That's what it said. Really? Well, you can see how they can easily be translated a different way. It could be, yeah. Uncovered. Mm-hmm. Wish I could find the part. Well, even when you're holding it, you're holding it by the staves. Right. So I know. I'm just talking about when it's on the bima. Because yeah, in the, in the, uh, on the Bima, it's uncovered anyway, and so, it, except when uh, you temporarily cover it in between Ali uh, In the note at the bottom, it says, 74, it says, Grasping the Torah scroll with bare hands refers to touching the parchment. Ah, it is, is that permitted what it is? Oh, to touch okay. the poles yeah. with bare hands. That's why we right. use the, the yeah, say you do not literally or mean that a person... Or the belt. Anyone who heard it, anyone who grasped the Torah scroll with his bare hands would be buried naked. So it's grabbing the scroll, not it's the stage. Touching stay. the parchment. Touching oh, the parchment. Yes, not yeah. the stage. The stage are there. What was that one right. guy that you showed us the video of? I was just about to say Oh, wrap the guy in. Oh, oh man. boy. Nobody go to their funeral. It's going to be really awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. You know, well, you definitely want to be careful about that. Mm. <laughs> I think Debbie Coot. Anybody have anything on Debbie Coot? I think we're going to call it there, gentlemen. All right. Now someone can some really good comments tonight, guys. The first ten men get the reward of the first hundred men. Nice. That's cool. We know why? Because all their souls are tenants in the house of prayer. All the same hole. What? Early attendance in the house of prayer. Shai for shock the region already. Well, that was one of the things that one of the guys said is he always attended the uh, the study hall before anybody else. That was, that was like they asked Jeff. They said, "How you live so long?" And he's like, "I'm always the first one for prayers." Always. Yeah. I literally don't. Leave. Okay. I don't urinate. Gentlemen, we have uh, a prayer spot. We have two more weeks on this book. Next week we do uh, the second last one. It's two chapters, and then we'll finish the book. So then what? Wait, which? Wait, hang sure. on, I'm confused. So we we're still in the middle of nineteen, right? We just finished Part nineteen, twenty, and twenty-one. Oh. Clearly, this is not the same. Twenty-two is the next trait. Which is on the love of God. It is. I don't know what it is. You want me to look and see what it is now? That's oh, okay. Let's look and see. We don't want any any uh, dissension in the uh, ranks here. The next trait is humility. There's two chapters, 22 and 23. We do those next week. The following week we'll be doing uh, Yirat Chet, fear of sin, and holiness. We'll finish that. So two weeks and we're done.